Welcome to Wife on Earth, the book review podcast with me, Celia Jason. On today's show, we talk to Britain's most up-to-date town crier, revisit the old pickle versus chutney controversy, and ask the question, with the mothballs? As the political situation abroad intensifies and many fear all-out conflict, we'll be interviewing the man who made up the rude words to We Three Kings of Orient are. And I'll be trying out a recipe for a ration book trifle made with just an onion, a pinch of tartar sauce and the air from a bicycle pump. Hello there. Our place is looking a little untidy these days, and that's because our char, Mrs Coyle, is away. What happened was her aunt died recently, and with what some might regard as unseemly haste, Mrs C sold her ex-council flat and used the proceeds to swan off on a tour of Europe, which apparently was her life's ambition. First I've heard of it. I thought her life's ambition was to break the world record for humming the greatest hits of Tavares tunelessly under her breath. (laughs) I'm joking, Mrs Coyle. Anyway, it occurred to me that we could take advantage of her jaunt for the podcast, and Mrs C could be our foreign correspondent. So I asked teenage Robbie from next door to set up the laptop for Skype, or whatever it's called, and he agreed on the proviso that we give him back his ball that Fred's had in the shed since 2009. So without further ado, let's get on with it. Mrs. Coyle's Capital Offences Now, where do I click? Oh, no, it's beeping at me. Oh, hang on, there she is. Hello, Celia. Hello, Mrs. Coyle. Gosh, you look all purple. I'll just adjust the colour balance. Where is it? I no, don't know that's actually what I look like. I fell asleep on the beach. Oh, gosh. So where are you at the moment, Mrs C? I'm in Barcelona. Barcelona? Crikey! That's in Spain, Mrs C. Hi, I know it's in Spain. I'm not an idiot. No, no, of course you're not. Sorry, Mrs C. So, how are you finding the Spanish? I imagine their men are a swarthy, mustachioed lot, with dark, flashing eyes and gleaming teeth, forever flamenco dancing or twirling their capes in a bullring, their muscles rippling beneath their bright silk shirts like coiled snakes ready to spring... Did you find that, Mrs Coyle? Well, everyone's been very nice. The only strange thing is the shops are open in the morning. Then they close at midday so everyone can have a wee kip. Then they open again in the evening. A kip? So one can go out for a farmhouse loaf and a packet of vim at midnight? Aye. Gosh, how decadent. Shopping at midnight? Well, who knows where that might lead. Why, one could pop out for a tin of condensed milk and before one knows it, could be in some chap's viviander while he plays the acoustic guitar. Aye. Well, I better go. I met a couple of fellas last night and they said they're going to take me up the funicular. Oh, gosh, well, that does sound like fun. Good luck, Mrs C. And where are you off to next? On Tuesday, I'll be in Frankfurt. Oh, good. Well, I, I hope you'll give us a report from there. Aye. Oh, one last thing. Oh, sh- where have you put the brasso? It's where it always is, in the pantry, on the left, third shelf from the top. Oh, thanks, Mrs Coyle. And goodbye. Uh, bye. Mrs Coyle's Capital Offences Oh, there she goes. Well, her face is sort of frozen on the screen, like a, like someone trapped under the ice. Oh, well, let's move on. 
I'm Celia Jessen and you're listening to our book review podcast, Wife on Earth. Due to the current crisis sanitaria, as they'd say in Spain, on the main and not only on the plain, we're having to record away from Milton Library for the foreseeable and are broadcasting from our home in Lower Upping. As a result, our books are of limited range, I'm afraid. So today we're looking at a collection of poetry, which was an unwanted Christmas present, some old theatre brochures with local famous actor Russell Nigels, my lockdown diaries, and we'll be exploring the art of self-improvement with my between-the-lockdown visit to a psychiatrist. But first, poetry. This is Emergency Kit, edited by Joe Shapcott and Matthew Sweeney, published by Faber and Faber in 1996, subheaded Poems for Strange Times, which I suppose our daughter Katie thought was pertinent, but which only succeeded in plunging us further into gloom. There's lots of poems here complaining about relationships, and some of the poems are controversial, such as wishing to be a slave, throwing away a Bible, or attacking a hitchhiker. I tend to steer clear of it. Once we put a copy of Watchtower in the recycling and found it posted back through our front door. And when Fred's hair grew a little bit long in lockdown one at the back and nearly touched his collar, our neighbours started giving him a much wider than two-metre berth, I can tell you. I think they thought he was about to start living in the woods. I suppose the distancing, which is beat-nick-like Bob inspired, was useful in some ways. Thinking about it, Fred probably grew it on purpose as an emergency measure. Fred couldn't be bothered to read any of these poems, he says, as he's too busy ploughing through the special offer Argos supplement, so I had a look for a shorter one, and I found this on a bookmark. It's called a haiku, which is a Japanese poem and is delightfully short. It's by Yoso Busan, and it's called Lighting One Candle. The light of a candle is transferred to another. Candle spring twilight. How utterly practical and very, very true... Optimistic, too, and celebrating another culture, whereas this collection of poetry is mainly by British writers complaining. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's the freezing cold weather this winter and claustrophobic layers of wool and fleece that make us Brits so uptight. Part of me wishes I'd gone to Spain with Mrs C and all the horrors that entails. Twin rooms, eating baguettes on a pavement, stealing all the hotel shampoos and then having to pay extra for an overweight bag at the airport. Our holdalls, I mean, not Mrs C. Even a trip back to my childhood home in Cornwall on a coach would have been a nice change. I'd have taken my swimmers and a freezer bag to bring back a frozen pasty for Fred. I'd pretend not to know anything about Cornwall, to have the exotic experience of being a proper tourist. A return to Cornwall, please. Where to? I don't know. It's all nice, isn't it? <laughs> well, I know it is. I've been watching Rick Stein... And judging by his Cornwall series, most people there have an RP or London accent. There are no second homers, destroying both local communities and young people's home-owning chances. And none of it is below the EU poverty line. Toilet on the coaches halfway back will be stopping off at Bridport for a comfort break. Gosh, I must have nodded off. Eight hours have gone by. Where are we? Oh, there's a sign. Oh, we've stopped. Red Roof. Well, I might as well get out here. Perhaps I could visit one of those orchards that are being planted by rich landowners from up-country, reintroducing rare apple and pear varieties and walnuts, once native to this land, having been usurped by Finder's crispy pancakes and cauliflower cheese. I'd better walk down the hill. There's only one taxi, and he looks like he's nodded off. Oh, what a lovely building. It looks like it used to be something, doesn't it? I expect it was built with mining money. Perhaps Rick Stein could open another restaurant here. 
And then David Cameron and Matt Hancock and their cronies wouldn't have to slum it on their away break in Cornwall with an imported Harrods hamper. This high street is utterly charming. Doesn't have a single shop that you'd see anywhere else. No, I tell a lie, I spy a chemist's. Ah, and a chain frozen food store. But everything else is a charity shop or a bakery. Ah, oh, and a beautiful cinema. Look at that. The Regal. Certainly is very regal. Well done, Red Ruth. I'd better get a pasty and buy one for Fred at the same time. They look lovely. Hello, do you have a real Cornish pasty, please, by Rick Stein? Ooh. Right, we got large chuck, medium chuck, small chuck, a pixie, cheese and onion, veggies, chicken, flaky or short crust. Gosh, what an exotic accent. I don't hear many of those on the travel series by Rick Stein or the one with Simon Reeve where he went to all the same places. I really do feel like I'm in an exotic climb. Here we go. Oh, but I wanted to eat in. Why is it in a bag? Oh, no, don't tell me. If it's good enough for Rick Stein to eat out of the paper bag, it's good enough for me. It's the rule, he says. That'll be two twenty-nine, my lover. I am not your lover. How much? What a bargain. Or perhaps it's a seasonal price for the locals. Nope. Next. I'd better find a Cornish granite bench to eat this on. Hmm, nothing here. Better walk along and find somewhere. What a lovely day. I walked and walked, the hot Cornwall pasty blazing away in my pocket like a loud firework. The light in Cornwall made famous by the St Ives painters is dazzling down on me. Oh, here's a pretty Cornish hedgerow with a gate, too. I'll pop inside here. What is this? Some kind of vast dome. An incredible structure to rival Gaudi's Cathedral in Barcelona, which Fred saw a photo of once and described as looking like a madman's sick. Well, I won't let that put me off my pasty. It's time to embrace difference. I'll eat my pasty in here. Oh, look, there's a young man. He seems to be trimming a hedge. Hello, excuse me. Uh, have I walked far enough to be able to see the sea between the hedges? Not yet, but you could do. I show you the way up through Bassett Field where they have the fair. You won't know how to use a slot machine, but I do. I'll get lots of winnings. I'll buy you a tea treat sized saffron bun. It's bright yellow and the size of a frisbee. We'd get a snack-sized warm bottle of bright blue pop to wash it down and head down Tiddy Woods on my scooter to the beach. We'd watch the surfers being totally mad. I'd see Darren from up the brewery and I'd go, what's on? And he'd go, there's a disco at Penn Benton tonight, free to get any for your local and you buy a perno. And then we'd do the Macarena. That's a Spanish dance, isn't it? Of course. And I could wear a flamenco dress? Perfect. Would you wear tight trousers and a golden cloak? I am there, bird. And order me a Spanish beer and a lady glass? I love you. I love you too, Shane. You a second Omer? Never. It's the most evil thing I could be. Then that'll be two twenty-nine. I'm sorry? And suddenly I realised I wasn't in a bakery at all. I was back in my kitchen, staring at a picture of the Sagrada Familia. And it's time to make Fred's elevenses. I don't think I'll make tiny pasties after all. He can have a plain scone and soup and like it. Now where were we? Oh, yes, of course, the book reviews. Here's another haiku. A world of dew, and within each dewdrop, a world of struggle. How true. Anyone who's ever watched a raindrop race on a Cornish window in 1967 because there's nothing better to do when it's raining, or seen a midge trapped inside a water globule on a Cornish daffodil can attest. Poetry's a great escape, isn't it? Look at me, I've gone all the way to Cornwall. Although not always as effective as a return train ticket to Europe. That's over to Russell Nigel's. 
there. You've caught me sorting through some old programmes. Relics of an illustrious career. Now, here we have The Man of Mode, 1996 Leicester Haymarket, as I like to call it. It's a production that is um, it's remembered as the first stage role of a young fellow by the name of Benedict Cumberbatch. Or Bendy, as we called him. Bendy Cumberboing. And... Um, uh, he he played. Uh, he, there he is. Yes, there he is. There's a picture of him there. He um he he played young Bel Air. Um, he used to refer to himself as the Fresh Prince, which I uh, I always thought uh, showed a rather sort of level of arrogance. Really, didn't to, to consider yourself uh, part of uh, theatrical royalty when you were when you were only just started out. But uh, as it turned out, it was quite quite prophetic. Um, and uh, it was, he was very good. He was very good, he was, too. Very good, yes. Um, and I myself essayed the role of Handy, the manservant. Uh, that was a role for which I utilised my famous brogue. I heard top of the morning to you, sure. <laughs> oh, there, there he is. Who's that handsome man? <laughs> my goodness me. I had sideburns then. Uh, it was very nice, his really. It's quite... Quite Britpop. Yes. So, um, anyway, it brings me um, around to my thought for the day. Uh, now, Bendy, as we all know, has gone on to great things, notably Sherlock Holmes on the telly and that uh, superhero thing where he whizzes about the place. Uh, nonsense. Superstardom, oodles of cash, and I'm certain the pick of the table that the Ivy, should he ever decide to drop by for a bite... Um, what I will say is that I'm sure they never put him in the rickety table near the bogs where one leg is shorter than the others. Yes, if you're listening to this, that was duly noted. Um, anyway, I, th- I think it's safe to say that my own career has not been quite so stratospheric. Um, in fact, even to my most fervent supporters, um, well, they'd have to admit that it probably peaked with an advert for Anglican Windows that was shown in the Tang Teaser in 1974. No, no enormous Hollywood paybackets for Russell. No, so, no, 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 no army of groupies. No, not, not for Mr Nigel's, alas, no. Huh? Where am I, uh, where am I, Nigelis, eh? Hmm? Where, where are the Russells? Ah, where's my merry band of followers? Oh, that's right, they're nowhere. Are they? Nowhere, no. Anyway, I, um, uh, you know, it was ever thus, uh, not to dwell. The great goddess fate, um, proper proportions, outer gifts, only un, un, unequally, shall we say. Yes, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that some receive a, a, a solid gold goblet encrusted with rubies and emeralds, and others a dog turd. A really smelly, stinky turd. Now, I could be regretful about this. I could be bitter. I could spend long hours in the boozer monologuing about how unfair it is that I slogged my guts out for years in rep in Huddersfield. Yes, Huddersfield is a real place, only to see this little pissant sachet in fresh out of drum school and immediately bag all the best parts. I could pin up a picture of Bendy, old Bendy Cumberboying, on my bedsit wall, perhaps decorated with a modest Hitler moustache and throw darts at it. I could even dedicate days and perhaps, perhaps weeks, to a smear campaign intended to derail Bendy's career, spreading malicious and completely untrue rumours. 
I could, and indeed have, done all these things, but what would be the point? One should count one's blessings. I have a roof over my head. I have... I have <coughs> not those who are higher on the mountain you climb than you. They know not that zombies await at the top of it. Bye-bye. Top of the morning to your bendy cumber brain. Top of the morning, I say. Top of the morning to your bendy cumber boy. I hope you end up in the fucking dole. Yet what? Also, you can't pronounce the word penguins. <laughs> anyway, gosh, uh, the haikus were very interesting, weren't they? I had a little thought that perhaps uh, Fred and Centre Party Martin and, and Mrs Coyle and I could have a go at coming up with one each. Would you like to try? Pat, what do you think? Martin, you're used to coming up with lyrics, aren't you? I am. Who wants to hear my tribute to Jimmy Page in the style of Jimmy Cliff? Well, I think the answer to that is no one, Martin. What about you, Mrs C? Do you fancy trying a haiku? Oh, I should say not. Haikus, indeed. My father was in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. They made him pull out his own fingernails. Gosh, well, that's terrible, Mrs C. But it's all water under the bridge now, surely. We're all friends now. Huh? Oh dear, come on everyone, it'll be fun. And it's easy too. Seventeen syllables, five, then seven, then five again. The Japanese ones are usually about a lotus flower in the forest at midnight or something, but well, ours could be about anything. You could do one about your corns, Mrs Coyle. Can you not tell everybody about my corns? My corns are not up for public discussion. Sorry, Mrs Coyle, but the way you were banging on about them at the last WI coffee morning, I thought they were... Oh, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll do it together. Martin, think of an arresting visual image. A cormorant smashing beak first into a fir tree. I'm OK, so that would be bird flies into tree. Bird flies into tree. Then we need a comment on that, Mrs Coyle. Should have looked where he was going. That's perfect, Mrs C, should have looked where he was going. Then we just need five syllables for the last line. What a stupid shit. Martin! Gosh, I don't think you'd have heard Matsuo Basho using language like that. Or Kobayashi Issa. Hey, hey, what's all this noise? Oh, Fred, we were trying to come up with a nice haiku. But all we've managed was something tragic about a bird dying with swearing in it. Haikus, eh? To me, such things are idle nonsense, fit only for fools. Fred, that was a haiku. Hey, what do you mean? Are you feeling quite well, dear? You're talking nonsense. Fred, you're doing it again. That was a haiku. What you said just then. Oh, for heaven's sake, what are you talking about? Have you gone crazy? That was one, too. Five syllables, then seven, then five. Stop it, Fred. Have you all gone mad? I am not speaking in haikus. It's ridiculous. Fred, that was a haiku, too. Oh, for heaven's sake, I've had enough of all this. I'll be in my room. Fred, stop it. Damn it. Oh, very strange. It's as if he were possessed by some strange spirit. Oh, Mrs Coyle, now you're doing it too. Aye, 
It's as if the world has slipped its mooring and floated away. Oh, what's happening? Am I going mad? Say something, Martin, say something. There once was a man from Nantucket. Oh, thank goodness, everything's back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) Tarp her the morning to you, Benny Cumber boy. Tarp her the morning, I say. Tarp her the morning to you, Benny Cumber boy. And penguin isn't very hard to say if one. Now it's time for an exciting new bit on the podcast. You see, someone recently moved into number 33, which has been vacant since the Brinsleys moved to South Africa, a chap called James Willoughby. He's a doctor. I do so admire doctors for their stethoscopes, tweed jackets, strong hands and laughing eyes. Anyway, turns out he's not that kind of doctor. He's a psychiatrist. I happened to mention this to the nabobs at Cosmic Shambles and they said it would be a great idea if I talked to Dr Willoughby for the podcast. I was confused. I mean, why on earth would I want to talk to a psychiatrist? But they explained that the listeners wanted to get to know the real Celia to understand what makes me tick. I wasn't keen, but then I saw Dr Willoughby buying the Guardian in the local spa. A very tall man with wavy blonde hair and startling blue eyes. So I've booked six sessions with him and we will be playing one per episode for this series. Fred wasn't keen, of course, predictably. He referred to therapists as, quote, filthy-minded, tight-trousered morons determined to spread their excrescence through the general population and to tar all clean-thinking people with their scabrous brush, unquote. <sighs> But I said it might help the podcast's circulation, so he agreed, on the proviso that I sign an affidavit not to mention him and the bedroom side of things. So here we go. Ah, Mrs Jessen. I hope you don't mind if I call you Celia. We thrive on informality here. Gosh, I say, you've ever such broad shoulders. Do you play rugby? I used to. At Oxford. Please, take off your coat and take a chair or use the couch. It's up to you. Gosh, very well. Shall I take my shoes off? Don't want to make a mess. I'm sorry, I'm babbling. You see, I'm just an ordinary woman who's never had a frappuccino and doesn't even know what a bitcoin is. Everything will be fine. Just relax. Now, if you're comfortable, we can begin. Before we start, I think I should say that I know you folks specialise in spotting hidden meaning in the things people say. Well, you'll get none of that from me. I'm an empty book. I mean an open book. Why did I say that? Open book. I'm a blank page, waiting to be filled by pens. Great big pens. I say, what are you writing there? Perhaps we could begin by talking about your childhood. My childhood? Gosh, I haven't thought of it in years. Where were you brought up? Why, here in Lower Upping, of course. I've never left the place except for our honeymoon in Massingham. I wanted to go to St Lucia, but Fred said it would be a waste of money and we'd be far better off saving for a new settee for the drawing room. Mm -hmm. And what did your father do? He was a bank manager. A tall, stern figure with his clipped moustache and ever-present pinstripe suit and bowler. 
One cannot spend more than one earns. That's what he used to say, every day. And your mother? Mama was a housewife. She ran a tight ship. Her hospital corners were the envy of several actual hospitals. And did you have any siblings? <laughs> no. My father said it would be uneconomical. I was never lonely, though, if that's what you're thinking. I had my dolls. Clara, Jemima, Hortense, Una, Sissy, Petuna, Wanda and Little Marie with a cracked face. Every night I'd brush their hair. A hundred strokes each. And the ones who weren't pretty enough would have to go and sit in the naughty chair. I see. Oh, you're scribbling in your notebook again. Any other relatives? No. Mama's father had been a draper, so we avoided that side of the family, and all of father's relatives had perished in a Zeppelin accident. The only relative I ever saw was great-aunt Millie, who we visited every Whitson. She's been put in the lunatic asylum for wanting to marry a postman. And can you think of any one incident in your early years that might have had some impact on the rest of your life? No. Nothing? It could be something quite insignificant. No, I don't think so. It was all rather uneventful, really. OK. Oh! There was the time I fell out of the upper storey window on my fourth birthday and was caught in the sinewy arms of a passing gas fitter. Does that count? Well, lots to unpack there. I'm afraid that's all for today, Celia. See you next week. Hello. Is this thing working? Ah, uh, yes, yes, the thing's going round. This is the lockdown diary of myself, Frederick John Jesson. Now, those of you who know me will no doubt be somewhat surprised to find me recording such a diary. To me, these things are perilously close to the excesses of the so-called reality television, which I myself do not, of course, watch, but which I cannot help but hear about from our char, Mrs Coyle, with her incessant chattering about the only way is Chelsea, whenever she was hoovering the upstairs landing. Nevertheless, it has occurred to me that my experience of current world events may be of some interest to future historians, and so I've decided to put aside my qualms and leave this record for posterity. I have been on furlough from Nibson's and living here at home with my spouse, Celia, with us taking our daily sanctioned hours of exercise together with a walk around the nearby retail park and doing our socially distanced shopping at the local branch of Waitrose every Wednesday afternoon. And so it went on until last week we had an addition to the household. I refer to the appearance in our household of a certain woolly article by the name of Martin, who, according to Celia, fell off his electric scooter outside the house. She took him in to minister an elastoplast to his knee, and while she was doing so, Mr Hancock announced that Toxborough was entering Tier 9, and we've had him in the house ever since, wandering around, strumming his acoustic guitar, baffling all and sundry with his colloquialisms and idioms, and leaving all manner of dog-ends in the plant pots by the back door, despite my entreaties to him not to do so. Although, to be fair, he does help with the washing up, and last night baked for us a delicacy called a fat rascal, which neither of us had had before. The day after Martin became our permanent guest, we had the somewhat biblical arrival of the prodigal son, mine and Celia's boy Billy, or Will, 
as he now seems to be calling himself. That's Will with one L, by the way, which does seem a trifle ostentatious. After all, I don't call myself Fred with double Ds. Now, just between you and me and the sideboard, Will seems to have taken a wrong turn of late. He was such a healthy, upstanding boy, forever whittling or polishing his woggle. If you ask me, the rot started when he switched from economics to philosophy in his first year at De Montfort. I don't hold with philosophy. If you ask me, it's all about layabouts, sitting in barrels, sniping at decent, hard-working people who pay their taxes and make possible a society in which layabouts can sit in barrels, sniping at them. Anyway, that aside, Will did seem to have turned over a new leaf after leaving university. I was happy to see that he'd started work as a clerk at Barrage's Bank. So I wasn't best pleased when I received a phone call from him in which he said, and I quote, Hey, Pops, I've quit the Barrage's gig and I'm going to live on my wits. I bit back my caustic reply. It transpired that Will had bought a tent and intended to move from place to place, so I wasn't entirely surprised when he turned up on our front doorstep four days later to claim sanctuary from the lockdown. So we have a full house and... It's very hard to stay out of people's way. Moreover, Celia seems to have gone very peculiar. The other day I espied her in the kitchen having quite a long conversation with a jar of dill pickles. So, for the sake of my own mental well-being, I have decided to take a leaf out of Martin's book and learn a musical instrument. The only instrument in the house is the banjo-ukulele I wielded during my impersonation of George Formby at the Conservative Club Christmas Fancy Dress Party in... 2003. Turned out nice again, hasn't it? The only sheet music I can find at the moment is 101 Brit Pop Greats for the recorder, which belonged to Katie in sick form. So I shall be starting off by attempting Hi by Feeder. Well, until my next diary entry, goodbye. Tuesday. Fred has taken up ukulele. Wednesday. I have moved into the airing cupboard. Thursday. Did a yoga class on YouTube. That can be hard to follow when your head is upside down and you can't see the screen. Friday. I've always fancied trying homeschooling. I have wild aspirations to become a primary school teacher, which is, of course, a nonsense. Me in a starched blouse and long skirt with my hair up standing at a blackboard with a piece of chalk, talking nonsense about which train gets to Aberdeen first. Saturday. Knocked up a pie, 24 scones and a wholemeal farmhouse. Luckily we have a good deal of supplies. There are still 2,000 tins of tomatoes under the stairs, from the time Fred sneezed and startled me when I was doing the online shop. Unfortunately Fred doesn't like wholemeal, but I'll tell him it's not. I'll say it's just the light from the energy-saving light bulb. Sunday. Fred and I have noticed each other's little idiosyncrasies much more keenly of late and have agreed that he should spend more time in the shed. Monday. Watched an online video of Russian Cossack dancers, an incredible mixture of army-like exercises, choreographed sword-fighting and break-dancing. They have extremely muscular thighs. Had a lie down. I am now learning Russian on Duolingo. You have been listening to Wife on Earth, written and performed by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. The cast are Ben Crompton, Julia Cluffley-Snedden, George Egg, John Griffin, Al Kerr, Paul McLean, Heather Miner and Joanna Neary. With original music written and performed by Heather Miner, 
and by Paul McLean. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network. Thank you for listening.